podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Good boys and girls, two for the podcast on Monday, March 21st, brought to you by EPLindex.com and our presenting sponsor, Liberty Shield. Liberty Shield is a VPN provider, a virtual privacy network allows you to go online, change your location, access things like American Netflix or whatever it is you're geoblocked from, while also keeping your data safe. Check out LibertyShield.com and use the code router50 to get your router half price. That's router50 at LibertyShield.com come get using whatever it is you want to use american netflix bbc iplayer itv hub whatever you geoblock from liberty shield is your workaround we're also brought to you by home of hopcroft a giftware and homework company located in scotland but shipping worldwide check out homeofhopcroft.co.uk and finally do check out the epl index and anfield index shops which you'll find on etsy use the codes epl10 or red10 to get 10 percent off at checkout Right, folks, we had four Premier League games and four FA Cup games at the weekend, so let's get straight into them. Friday night, Wolves 2, Leeds United 3. This game changed on what I think is one of the worst red card decisions I've seen all season. So Wolves go one up, Johnny Otto, who missed about 18, 19 months of football, back in the team recently, Great to see him back playing and getting on the score sheet. Francisco Trinquier made that goal and he himself added the second on 56 minutes, although it was actually 45 plus 11. There were that many injury breaks in the first half that there were 12 or 13 minutes of stoppage time. Trinquier made it to 11 minutes into those and Wolves were cruising. There were absolutely dominant their total control of the game and on 53 minutes Raul Jimenez goes chasing a long ball Melier comes out and they just collide Melier slides Jimenez doesn't alter his run just keeps going for the ball doesn't kick out doesn't lunge doesn't do anything clatters into the goalkeeper and somehow gets a second yellow card and I really don't understand that. I think it's a dreadful decision. And then Wolves fell apart. Leeds, to their credit, used that as a massive spur, kicked themselves right up the backside and got playing. Jack Harrison made it 2-1 on 63. Rodrigo made it 2-2 on 66. Wolves defending for both goals. Atrocious. And Luke Ayling makes it 3-2 a minute into stoppage time at the end of the game. Again, horrific defending from Wolves. Not what we're used to seeing from them at all this season. But it is what it is. And this win is huge for, for Wolves. Absolutely huge. Or for Leeds, rather. Absolutely huge win for them. But it comes at a cost. Melier, Lorente and Bamford, all injured in the game. 
Matthias Glitch also had to go off. Wolves also had to take off four players. Johnny Otto, Ruben Neves, Leandro Dendonker and Daniel Pedence. Head injuries. Head injuries on both sides. And just a massive blow for Wolves. Losing for Leeds, rather losing Bamford again and Lorente. Melier's loss might not be held, uh, felt so badly because when Christopher Klassen came on in goal, I thought he played really, really well. I thought he had a really good game, made a couple of big saves. Good news for Wool for Leeds. I keep saying Wolves. Good news for Leeds in that Cooper and Phillips were back on the bench. Now, a little bit like the Bamford situation a couple of weeks ago where he was on the bench and didn't play. They're on the bench, don't come on. But it shows they are back fully training in the squad, back with the group. So they'll be fine to go after the international break. Uh, this is a big win for Leeds and it's a big loss for Wolves because Wolves now find themselves eight points behind Arsenal who currently sit fourth and they've played two games more. Both of Arsenal's games in hand are very difficult, but they're also five points behind Spurs with Spurs having a game in hand. That game in hand, of course, is Arsenal, but still five points is a big gulf. And if Spurs beat Arsenal, then Spurs and Arsenal will be level on 54, eight points clear of Wolves with the same number of games played. So disappointing for Wolves. They will want to come out of the international break in better form than this. And obviously they've had a bit of a ropey run. You look back, they lost at home to Arsenal. Then they beat Spurs. Then they beat Leicester. Then they lose away to Arsenal. Then they lose to West Ham. Then they lose at home to Crystal Palace. They beat Watford, they beat Everton, and now they lose to Leeds. So at a time when they really needed to be a bit more consistent, it just hasn't been for they've been there for them. They've got eight games left. Villa at home, Newcastle away, City at home, Burnley away, Brighton at home, Chelsea away, Norwich at home, Liverpool away. So Three very difficult games, but five others in there that they really should win. Based on what we've seen so far this season, they should beat Villa, they should beat Toon, they should beat Burnley, they should beat Brighton, and they should beat Norwich. Given how Wolves have been recently, though, you wouldn't be surprised to see them lose any of them. But it was always going to come to a head with Wolves, where the lack of goals was going to hurt them, and the lack of real quality in defence was going to hurt them. The system can only get you so far. And eventually some of those defenders will, will get exposed individually. They've now lost 12 games this season, which is a lot. It's a lot of games to lose. They're going to finish in the top eight, and that's a big achievement, especially in the first season under Bruno Lage. They've got to back him this summer. Got to keep Trinko. You've got to go and add a couple of quality defenders. You've got to keep Neves if you can. You've got to go and add a couple of quality defenders to go with that group. They're still in with a shot of Europe. They could still get Europa League. They could still get Conference League. If they do that, then the season's a runaway success. It's basically looking like it'll be them and West Ham for seventh. So we'll see how that plays out. Huge win for Leeds, especially with Everton having won in the week. This now gives them a bit more breathing room. Four points clear of Everton. 
seven points clear of Watford. Watford do have a game in hand. They're eight points clear of Burnley. Burnley have three games in hand. They're four points clear of Everton, obviously, and Everton have three games in hand as well. It puts a lot of pressure on Burnley, Watford, Burnley and Watford in particular, but Burnley, Watford and Everton as well, just because Everton are still in that mix. Leeds really needed to start putting some wins together, and that's back-to-back wins after such a poor run to get back-to-back wins, especially in the manner that they did. Late, late winner against Norwich, late winner against Wolves. And especially when you consider led the Norwich game for a long time, gave up a late equaliser and then fought back to get it. Went two down at Wolves and fought back. Helped by the red card without question, but still. Jesse Marsh seems to have put some fight into this team. Now they have eight games left too. Southampton at home, winnable. Watford away, winnable. Chelsea home, Palace away, City home, Arsenal away. Brighton at home could be a winnable game. And Brentford away on the final day of the season. If they need a point, that's a game they can get a point in. It may be that both teams need a point and maybe they'll just happily take a draw. But there's still points there to be taken. Four leads. Southampton, Watford, Brighton and Brentford. They're all games they can target to get something from. And they currently sit on 29 points. I reckon three more might be enough. Three more might be enough to keep them in the division. And they should be able to do that. And if they do, huge credit to Jesse Marsh. I think it would have happened under Bielsa anyway. But credit to Jesse Marsh. He's doing a very, very good job. Very, very good job so far. Moving into Saturday then. Only one game on Saturday, which was really strange. Aston Villa nil. Arsenal won. Villa's first half, Villa's first 50 minutes was a disgrace. An absolute disgrace. Zero shots. Just a shambles. Arsenal were all over them. They went one up through Bukayo Saka on 30 minutes. I think the keeper should save it. You can definitely make the argument that he sees it really late because Tyron Mings decides to stand directly in his way. But it's quite a central shot, and I think the keeper should save it. Villa came back into the game in the second half and possibly could have gotten an equaliser. It would have been a little bit unfair on Arsenal, but to their credit, Villa's last 40 minutes was a good effort. The first 50 was just a shambles. Gerrard looked completely lost. Even coming back out of the break, when normally he's been able to really light a rocket with them at half time, it didn't look like he'd managed it. And then all of a sudden, things just turned around for them on about 50 minutes, and they started to look like a football team again. Um, but they had been so, so poor. And I've said it before, and I'll say it again, I don't see it with John McGinn. A lot of people big him up to be something really special, and I just don't see it. So Villa stay ninth. They have nine games left. One of them is missing here, but the other eight are Wolves away, Spurs home, Liverpool home, Leicester away, Norwich home, Burnley away, Palace home, City away on the final day of the season. I can't think what the other game is that they have. 
but there's another game anyway. Um, you would imagine that the aim for them is ninth. Where they are right now, they'll want to stay there. They're level on points with Leicester, but Leicester do have two games in hand. So gives Leicester the big advantage there because one of those games in hand is against Everton, which you should expect Leicester to at least take a point from. But Gerrard's mandate absolutely when taking over was top half. Dean Smith was sacked because they weren't going to finish in the top half. That's what they were aiming for this year. You know, they came into the league, stay in the league year one, year two, establish yourself as more of a mid-table team. They did that last year. This season was about getting into the top half, potentially making a bit of a run at Europe, but being in the top half. Next season will be all about European qualification. These are really ambitious owners. This is an ambitious club. They want to go places. They'll spend a bit of money in the summer. Uh, Jonathan Norcroft had a story in the Sunday Times, I think, that they're very keen on Calvin Phillips. Obviously, that's been a rumor that's been around for a couple of weeks now. I don't think they'll get Calvin Phillips because I think Calvin Phillips will have better offers. And Norcroft mentioned a fee in the region of $60 million. Villa have quite a lot to do this summer. And that's something I want to have a look at this season, or this week rather, is go through the Premier League squads and see what teams might need come summer. Um, But Villa have a few needs. They need a centre-back. They could do a better cover at right back. Probably do it a better backup goalkeeper. At least one in midfield. They could do it another attacker. That's a lot of money that you're going to have to spread around. You probably need to bring in five players. You can't really afford to go and just dump 60 million on one, even if he's as good as Calvin Phillips, because the centre back is the bigger need. Mings has to be replaced, or Villa will go nowhere. And that's going to cost 40 to 50 million to get the type of centre back Gerard's going to want. This was just disappointing from Villa because I really did expect them to come out and really fly at Arsenal for the first 20, 25 minutes, knowing this was a tired Arsenal team who played in midweek and who had complained endlessly in the days since that they had to play two games back to back. The early kickoff, they're at home. I thought we'd see a really lively Villa in the first half and they were just garbage. Uh, For Arsenal, they're fourth. They stay fourth. They have 54 points. They are three points clear of Tottenham, four clear of United, game in hand on both of those. Again, that is Chelsea away. Chelsea are five points clear of Arsenal. If Arsenal beat Chelsea, all of a sudden they're only two points behind them. But obviously if Chelsea win and that game is at the bridge, Chelsea will be eight points clear and all of a sudden Arsenal will have to beat Tottenham to stay above them. Assuming Tottenham don't do anything stupid in the interim. Um, Arsenal's rest of season looks like this. Palace away, that's going to be tough. Brighton at home, Southampton away, Chelsea away, United at home, West Ham away, Leeds at home, Newcastle away, Everton at home. So their end of season is fairly favourable, those last three games, just depending on which Newcastle you get. Will they be on the beach? 
by then if they're safe, which they should be. Um, there's also that Spurs game that has to be fit in somewhere. I would imagine it goes between the United and West Ham games. Seems like the best place for it to go. But there's some tough ones there. Chelsea away, United home, West Ham away. Even Palace and Saints away will be difficult enough. Just depends on which kind of mood you catch Saints in. Um, moving on to Sunday then, Leicester 2, Brentford 1. Two worldies for Leicester. Absolute stunners. Timothy Castanier picks the ball up, cuts in field onto his right foot. The crowd shouts, shoot, and he decides to oblige. And he just lasers it right into the top corner. Stunning strike. No keeper saving it. 13 minutes later, James Madison with a free kick from the edge of the area. And it's sensational. It's right into the other top corner. And again, no keeper saving it. From there, I actually thought Brentford were the better team. Uh, I did think Brentford were the better team for about an hour of this game. They had no Christian Eriksen because he's, he's got covid so Jensen came into the midfield. I would have preferred to see Onyeka because I think his powerful running would have caused some, some trouble for this, <clears throat> for this Leicester team. But Jensen himself had a good opportunity. Kasper Schmeichel made a couple of great saves. Johan Wissa finally got a goal for Brentford on 85 minutes. But by then, it was a bit too late. Another really good goal, by the way. Lovely finish from the edge of the box. The keeper couldn't get close to. Um, Brentford will be a little bit disappointed because the performance deserved a point. But at the end of the day, they're coming off back-to-back wins. So they've already given themselves a good fighting chance to stay in the division. They've played 30 games. They've got eight left. Chelsea away, West Ham home, Watford away. That's a winnable game. Spurs home, United away, Southampton home, Everton away, Leeds home. It is a difficult run-in. It really is a difficult run-in. But you'd look at you'd look at Watford away, Southampton home, Everton away, and Leeds home as games they can pick up points in. And again, they probably only need three or four more points, and they should be fine. But Chelsea. Tottenham, West Ham, United. That's really tough. Um, For Leicester, they're into the top half, finally. It's taken them most of the season to find their way here, but, you know, here they are. They have quite a busy schedule, obviously, because they've still got the Europa Conference League. Um, They've got a couple of games in hand that need to be rescheduled. But in the Premier League, they have Manchester United away next. Then PSV in the first leg of the Conference League. Then Palace at home. PSV in the second leg. Newcastle away. Everton away. Villa home. That will be a big one in deciding ninth. Tottenham away. Everton home. Watford away. Southampton home. So the schedule is favourable enough to them. Now there are obviously two more games. What's that? Yeah, that's nine. They've got 11 games left. There's two more games to be fit in there. Don't ask me who they're playing. So having a breeze. I should have that written down, but I don't. So their end of season isn't bad, but it could get quite cramped if they keep going in the conference league and they have to play semi-finals and potentially a final. Um, but that's what you have a squad for. 
that is what you have a squad for. Final game then in the Premier League, Tottenham 3, West Ham 1. This felt like a big win for Spurs. And to be fair, they were really good value for this win. It was one of their better performances of the season. Uh, Kurt Zuma with an own goal on nine minutes, put Spurs one up. Good work by Harry Kane, cuts it back for young Min Son. Son misses the ball, hits Zuma's knee, and then it goes on 24. Great ball by Kane, plays in Son, stands up Zuma, shifts it to his left foot. His shot clips Zuma's foot and spins over the keeper and goes in. Uh, ben Rama made it 2-1 on 35. Nice finish at the back post on a half volley. And then Sun wrapped it up on 88 minutes, sent through by a Harry Kane flick on, and uh, beat the keeper in a 1v1. Spurs should have scored a couple more. Kane had a great opportunity that he spurned, but they were really good value for the win. I thought Ben um, Bentoncourt had a tremendous game in midfield. I thought he was the best player on the pitch by a comfortable margin, but Kulisewski was excellent. Kane was very good. Sun was great, scored two goals. Romero played well again. And all things considered, I think a very, very happy Antonio Conte after this one. Not so much for David Moyes. He'll be a bit upset, in part because they're starting to lose a bit of ground in that, that race for fourth, and it may well be outside their reach. They have eight games left in the Premier League as well as their Europa League challenge. They play Leon obviously, in the Europa League. Uh, they've got Everton home next. That's That should be a win. Then they go to Brentford. Then they get Burnley home. So they should be three wins. They really should be three wins. But then they get Chelsea away, Arsenal home, Norwich away, City home, and Brighton away on the final day. So they do have three really difficult games in there. But the other five, the other five should all be very winnable for them. If they did win all five of them, that would get them to 63 points. That's not going to be enough for fourth, obviously. You're probably going to need close to 70 this year, or maybe even more. And it's very difficult to see them taking enough points from City, Chelsea and Arsenal to overhaul what the Gunners will get and what I think Spurs will get. Spurs currently fifth in the league, three points behind Arsenal. They still have to play Arsenal at their own stadium. So that's an advantage to Spurs. Arsenal have the game in hand, but again, it's Chelsea away. It's very difficult. Spurs have no other focus. All they're looking at is the league. They get... Newcastle home, Villa away, Brighton home, Brentford away, Tottenham home in the next five. That could be five straight wins. And what it would actually be, if we look at it, is it would be seven straight wins. It's not outside the realms of possibility, but you'd expect they'll probably drop points somewhere. That Tottenham game could be it. They could, or that Ars a Villa game could be it. Then they play Liverpool away. That's going to be difficult. But then they finish up with Burnley and Norwich in the last two. Now, they've got to fit the Arsenal game in there somewhere. But aside from Arsenal and Liverpool, they should beat everybody else. They should beat everybody else. Everyone else there is mid-table or bottom half. Villa, mid-table. Leicester, mid-table. Toon, Brentford, 
Norwich, Burnley, bottom half, Brighton mid-table, but but slipping. Spurs have the easiest run in. They get that Arsenal game at home. And could they win eight from the last nine? Very, very possible. And eight wins will put them on 75 points. I don't see anyone else getting 75 points. So that's got to be the the mandate for Conte and his team. They've got one game a week. They don't have any double weeks other than whatever week the Arsenal game gets put in. There's just one game a week. Go and win one game a week. You've got the players to do it. Like I've said since he took over, Conte is the best manager in that group of teams going for top four. Kane and Son are the two best players in that group. Romero is the best defender in that group. Bentoncourt may well be the best midfielder in that group. And they've got the easiest run. They should beat Newcastle at home. Villa away will be tough, but if Villa play like they did against Arsenal, Spurs will win that. Brighton have been horrible of late. That should be a win. Brentford, Spurs really should beat them. Leicester will be difficult, especially if Leicester found some form as they appear to be hinting at right now. But again, it's a game Spurs should win. Liverpool away, if you get anything from that game, it will be a huge plus, so you don't expect anything. But then Burnley home, Norwich away. If Spurs go into the last two games... In the lead for fourth, they will get they and they fail to get it, then there's no excuse. If you can't beat Burnley at home and Norwich away, you don't deserve to be in the Champions League. It's as simple as that. It really is as simple as that. It's well set up for Spurs to get fourth. Three point gap, and Arsenal have to go to them. Even a draw there. It isn't bad at all because Arsenal have Chelsea away, Arsenal have United, Arsenal have West Ham. Arsenal have a tougher run in than them. So they can catch the Gunners. They really can. That is the four Premier League games from the weekend. The FA Cup went as follows. Middlesbrough nil, Chelsea 2, Lukaku and Zayic. Gave Chelsea a 2-0 half-time lead, and that was basically all that happened. Mason Mount with the assists for both goals. He does like to stat pad against lower league teams. Uh, Crystal Palace 4, Everton 0. Palace very much treating Everton like a lower league team. Mark Wehi with a header on 25. Jean-Philippe Matete with a nice finish after good work from Ezzy and Zaha on 41. Zaha himself on 79 after Elise shot came back off the woodwork. And then Will Hughes on 87. A decent Pickford save, but it falls straight at the feet of Will Hughes. And Will Hughes finishes with pretty, pretty much ease. Uh, it was really good to see Palace go with Gallagher and Eze as a pair of eights. Elise and Zaha, either side of a striker, get those four lads on the pitch and they tore Everton to shreds. Absolutely tore them to shreds. Um, Andros Townsend went out of the game with what looked like a fairly serious knee injury 
Hopefully it's not an ACL or anything like that, but early signs weren't particularly good. So, you know, we'll just keep our fingers crossed for him. But Palace just outclassed Everton. It, it wasn't even it wasn't even funny. The gulf between them was massive. Uh, Manchester City won. Sorry, Manchester City four. Southampton won. City went one up through Raheem Sterling on 12 minutes. America Laporte put through his own net on 47 to make it 1-1 at half time. It was a fairly even game in that first half, but in the second half, City pulled away. Kevin De Bruyne, a penalty on 62, a wonderful strike from Foden on 75, and then a deflected Riyad Mahrez goal on 78 to wrap it up. City threw, and they will face Liverpool, who beat Nottingham Forest 1-0. Again, fairly comfortable for Liverpool. Diogo Jota with the only goal of the game. Forest gave Liverpool a good old game. They tried really hard. They worked a couple of decent openings. Zinkernagel should have scored just before Liverpool scored. And the funniest part about it is, if you think back to Liverpool's game in midweek, Odegaard should score. And then within a couple of minutes, Diogo Jota, should, Diogo Jota has scored in this one. Zinkernagel should score, and within a couple of minutes, Diogo Jota has scored for Liverpool. Uh, Jota had a terrible game, but managed to get himself the only goal, and Liverpool go through. So we get Liverpool City, and we get Chelsea Crystal Palace in the semi-finals. You would expect Chelsea to advance, but credit to Palace. Getting to this cup semi-final, getting your fans a trip to Wembley, playing as well as you have done, 12th in the league, you know, you've played good football. You've got a positive goal differential, which is very unusual for Crystal Palace. Very, very unusual because normally they just don't bother scoring any of the goals. But if we look back, 14-15 uh, negative goal differential of minus four. 15-16 uh, minus 12. 16-17 minus 13. 17, 18, minus 10, 18, 19, minus 2, 19, 20, minus 19, last season, minus 25, and this season they're plus 1. They may end up with a negative goal difference, but if as long as it's in single figures, that's something they've only done twice in the last eight years, sorry, last seven years. So, you know, as long as it's single figures, that's progress. Massive progress when you consider minus 25 last season and minus 19 the season before. For a man who prides himself and gets loaded for setting a team up to defend well, Roy Hodgson's defensive record at Palace wasn't exactly brilliant. Minus 66 last year, or 66 conceded last year, 50 the year before that, 53 the year before that, and 55 the year before that. That was the year he took over after four or five games. So that wasn't all on him, but still, still, it's not, it's not good. It's not good at all. Um, yeah, so credit to Vieira. Cup run is absolutely fantastic. It's the icing on the cake. We'll take a break, and when we come back, we've got the gossip, and we've got some news on the Chelsea ownership situation. So see you in a sec.
Right, welcome back. So, the deadline for bids for Chelsea was on Friday. And it looks like there are four bids. It looks like there's four bids in. No, excuse me, there are five bids in. There are five bids for Chelsea. So three of them are British-based. One is a global investment firm, Centricus. They are funding a British bid to buy Chelsea, saying they want to maintain and support existing management. Well, the problem is that the management is Marina, and she is almost certainly gone with Roman. Our financing for the deal includes funding for the completion of the transaction and funding for working capital required for the day-to-day operations of the Chelsea Football Group. Funds required to maintain the elite football brand, investment in grassroots and in community football initiatives such as the Chelsea Academy, the women's team, the youth development programme and the Chelsea Foundation and strategic real estate investment. The intention is to maintain and support existing management on both business and sporting operations of the CFC Group. We intend to ma- maintain the existing strategy direction. Clearly, the CFC Group has been operating in challenging conditions, and we appreciate the importance of them, the fans, and other key stakeholders of ensuring a smooth and stable ownership transition. During this transition period and thereafter, we will sure- ensure that we have frequent and open dialogue with all key stakeholders, which underpins our long-term commitment to the CFC Group and its continued future success. If our offer is successful, Centricus will be focused on ensuring that the CFC group continues to achieve sporting excellence, high level of community support, transparent governance, governance, financial sustainability. That's the key phrase there. Financial sustainability, fan engagement and exemplary custodianship. Well, Chelsea have never had exemplary custodianship. Never. Um, Roman was losing a million quid a week. Ken Bates brought them to the wall. So that's nonsense. But the key phrase in all of that they've said is financial sustainability. And notice that the early part of the statement is all around the academy, youth development. It's not about spending bucket loads of money. It's not about running the club the way it has been run. It's about running it properly. Other groups include a consortium featuring Martin Broughton and Sebastian Coe. They are Chelsea fans. This would be a fan-led initiative. Whether they have the money or not remains to be seen. But they would also be looking at financial sustainability. Uh, One headed by British property investor Nick Candy. Nick Candy doesn't have two billion. He doesn't have the access to it either. Nick Candy is a charlatan. So I think we can rule that one out. He just wants his name in the press. The Ricketts family, they are the family that owns the Chicago Cubs. Again, like I've said before, they'd be from that John Henry model of owner uh, operations. So again, you're looking at financial stability, profit and loss merchants, not running the club the way it has been run. And then the final one is the group consisting of Todd Bowley, who's a part owner in the LA Dodgers and the LA Lakers, and the Swiss billionaire Hans-Jörg Weiss. And again, they're going to come in and do the exact same thing. 
each of these ownership groups will drastically change the landscape for Chelsea and not in a way that their fans are going to be too happy about, but in a way that will secure the the future of the club. Uh, For all the talk about this bid from the Saudi Saudi media group, it didn't materialise. So unless they get a special um, extension of the deadline to make a bid, it's not happening. And they, like the others, would be a consortium bid with outside funding because as excited as Chelsea fans and well, some Chelsea fans were getting about the word Saudi, this is not some mega rich Saudi cash fund. This is a Saudi business looking for outside investment to help buy the club so that you become part of a portfolio along with some TV stations and things of that nature. So don't get yourself too excited. None of these bids mean that Chelsea will run the same way. None of them. All of them mean drastic changes, cuts in spending, massively lowering the wage bill, getting outgoings under control, maximizing the incomings, more focus on the academy, more of a pathway for academy players into the first team. And that could be a good thing, but you're going to have to readjust what your expectations are. You really are going to have to readjust what your expectations are. They might come in if they're allowed to take over this summer and do that one big splurge where they spend a bit of money, or they just might not. They just might not. Let's do the gossip and get done for the day. Uh, Real Madrid are losing hope of beating Manchester City to the signing of Erling Haaland, says goal. Uh, It's goal in Spanish, so I can't read what that says. Uh, Manchester City and Portugal midfielder Bernardo Silva says he is pining for a return to his homeland and Benfica in the next two years. The problem for Mr. Mr. Silva is that he is far too good of a footballer to go on the cheap. He has a contract till 2025, and if he was for sale right now, would probably bring in about $75 and Benfica can't afford to pay that. Now, maybe you can wait till 2024 and make the move then when you've got one year left on your contract. But again, are Benfica going to come up with $55 million for you? I have doubts. Thomas Tuchel has played down speculation linking him at Manchester United and says Chelsea has everything it needs to make me happy. Uh, why would he want to go to United is the big question. Manchester City are expecting to offer Rodri a new contract extension with the 25-year-old's current deal running till 2025. He's been spectacular this season. So a new contract is absolutely something that should be done there. Yuri Thielemans says talks are taking place with the Foxes about his future and that he will study his options in the summer. His contract runs till 2023. If he's not going to extend, he's going to be sold. It's as simple as that. Danny Alves says former Barcelona teammate Lionel Messi is not enjoying himself at PSG and hopes that he can return to the new camp. Um, Why would you enjoy yourself at PSG? Like, you might enjoy Paris, but I can't imagine you'd enjoy much about that club. 
Manchester United and Inter Milan are looking at Nikola Milinkovic of Fiorentina. United do not need Nikola Milinkovic. They need a left-sided centre-back. And in truth, they're probably not going to buy one because they have Slabhead. Barcelona are interested in Tottenham and Spain defender Sergio Regulon. I doubt it. I doubt it. I don't see that one being true. They could look, they could be doing well. I so said they could be doing with a replacement for Jordi Alba. But I don't think he'll be on the list. Maybe I'll be wrong, but I just don't see it. Real Madrid are interested in Ardien Chouameni, but the France international midfielder is targeting a move to the Premier League with Liverpool, Manchester City and Manchester United all interested. I think he ends up at Liverpool, to be honest. Manchester United midfielder David De Gea was left out of Spain's squad for the international friendlies against Albania and Iceland because he does not fit their style of play. Also because he's just not very good anymore. Manchester United have a, Manchester City rather have agreed a £5.4 million deal to sign Atletico Monero Ford Savio, who's played for Brazil at youth levels. Good for him. West Ham uh, have joined Newcastle in monitoring French midfielder Ludovic Blas, who plays for Nantes. Talented player. Talented player. Well suited to how Newcastle want, seem to want to play. Um, Paul Pogba is back on Barcelona's radar after the Spanish club signed a lucrative sponsorship deal. He'd just be such a terrible fit there. Germany centre-back Antonio Rudiger, who has, whose Chelsea contract runs out this summer, has agreed to join Juventus on a four-year contract. Juventus do love a free agent signing, and that's one club where he could go and play in a back three, because they're probably better set up to play a back three than they are a back four anytime soon. Newcastle are interested in signing Neymar. I, I, just, I can't even be bothered. Uh, Newcastle will also step up their interest in Ben Godfrey. I like Ben Godfrey. I think he's got a lot of potential to be very good. Uh, Lionel Messi does not intend to leave PSG and plans to see out the two-year contract he signed in the summer after his former Barcelona teammate, now head coach, Xavi, said he would always be welcome at the new Camp. I don't see him leaving PSG. I think he will stay there, just to prove a point more than anything. Juventus and Inter Milan are interested in signing Conor Gallagher. I can't think of many worse moves he could make. Cesar Azpilicueta has agreed a deal in principle to join Barcelona on a free transfer. Um, that's been banded about for months now, so it would, wouldn't be a big surprise if that's what happens. The agent of Jorginho says the 30-year-old Italy international would like to return to Syria one day. Not really saying much of anything there, are they? Um, Manchester United are weighing up a move for Morocco and Sevilla goalkeeper Yassine Bono. Good keeper, but he's 30, and I don't really see the point. Uh, Manchester United are interested in Mary Demerel. <sighs> no. No, no, no. no. Divock Origi has told the club he wants to leave in the summer. He's under contract until 2024. That's according to Football Insider. He is, in fact, under contract of 2023 because Liverpool have not chosen to pick up his option year. 
Atletico Madrid are the team most interested in Darwin Nunes. I don't think they are. I think there's others more interested. But he'd make sense for Atleti, to be fair. Manchester United are considering a bid for Dundee United Swiss keeper Benjamin Segrist as further cover for David De Gea. That's nonsense, to be honest. Atletico Madrid have made an offer for 30-year-old Spain midfielder Sergi Roberto who is set to leave Barcelona when his contract runs out this summer. Yeah, he, he makes sense for Simeone. Hard-working grafter, can play multiple positions. Leeds are confident of extending Luke Ayling's deal with the club. I don't, I don't really know why you'd want to. He's not very good. Newcastle will let Jamal Lewis in, leave in the summer with the Tyneside club wanting about £8 million. There'll be a, a line of, of clubs queuing up to get him a line of clubs queuing up for him last bit here Manchester City do not believe they are favourites to sign Erling Haaland and Real Madrid could try and get him to stay for one more year at Borussia Dortmund for one more year before they try to sign him former Real Madrid midfielder Guti says the club will be unable to sign Haaland if they fail to capture him this season Uh, yeah I I would agree with that because unless he gets a buyout his next club um, his price will be something ridiculous that no one will ever pay. Aston Villa could face competition to sign Phil Coutinho on a permanent basis this summer with Arsenal reportedly. I don't believe for one second that Arsenal have interest. And I think Coutinho will go where he's happy, and I think he's happy at, at Villa. So Gerard is a big factor there. Romelu Lukaku is unhappy at, at Chelsea and will look to leave the club. It's football insiders, garbage. Carlo Ancelotti wants to sign Inter Milan midfielder Nicola Barella and the Italian international's arrival could put the future of Tony Cruz in doubt. Just tripe. Um, Arlen Chumeni is attracting interest from Chelsea, Liverpool, PSG and Real Madrid, but Monaco will not accept less than £42 million for him. That's a bargain. Uh, Aston Villa are leading the race to sign Calvin Phillips. I, again, I don't believe they are. I'm, I I believe they may have registered their interest first, but I don't believe they'll lead the race to do anything of the sort, nor do I believe they're prepared to pay £60 million. Juventus ma- manager Max Allegri says he does not know if Paolo Dybala will be at the club next season with the 28-year-old's contract running out in the summer. Well, that, that's logical that you wouldn't know if he hasn't signed a new contract yet. Brazilian left-back Marcal is set to leave Wolves when his contract expires in the summer and sign for, sign for Botafogo in his homeland. Makes sense to let him go. He hasn't been very good for them. Former Barcelona coach Ronald Koeman is in talks about returning to his role as manager of the Dutch national team when Louis van Gaal's contract runs out after the World Cup. Van Gaal, uh, Koeman should never have left the Dutch national team. The fool. Roma and Hellas Verona are interested in signing Chelsea playmaker Charlie Masunda with the Belgian set to leave the club in the summer. That lad's career has been absolutely ruined by Chelsea. Um, Chelsea right-back Rhys James is set to pull out of the England squad and Tyreek Mitchell will be called up as a replacement. Well, that would make sense. There's only one left-back in the squad and that's Luke Shaw. So it makes sense to bring up a left-back and if, if James pulls out, which, again, makes sense because he is injured. And finally, Bayern Munich have tabled an offer for Ryan Gravenberch, apparently well below what Ajax wants, but, you know, it's, it's the opening salvo 
we wait and see what happens there. He'd be a great signing for Bayern if if they can do better with him than they did with Mikel Croissants, with Quarantine Tolisso, and obviously with Renato Sanchez. Young midfielders going to Bayern, always risky. And that's it. That is me for today, folks. I will see you tomorrow. Take care of yourselves. Goodbye. Podcast Network.